0: Welcome to The Journey of an Esthete, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. Hello, Andy Heinz. Hey, hey, Mitch. Uh, welcome to our show, Journey of an Esthete. Hey, thank, thank you very much. Um, I'm glad we got in touch with each other and it seems uh, you can hear me and I can hear you. And, and um, I have i I'm going to do a little blurb up front if you don't mind. I'll try to keep it brief. Um, Yeah, absolutely. uh, I have all kinds of guests on my show. I mean, from all walks of life, Um, usually artists, but not always. Sometimes they're political uh, activists like yourself. Uh, I've had uh, Theo Horesh on the show once. I, I had the uh, philosopher George k Teb, Robert Pippin, you know, people like that, um, musicians. But, you know, from time to time, I like to have people on the show who are, um, you might say, more politically involved than the average folk. And you've written an incredible book, uh, Dissidents of the International Left. And you're someone that appears to wear many hats. You... Evidently, you've been a sports writer. We could talk about that. I did not know that. Um, and you're a journalist freelance journalist, and also work with uh, substance, uh, 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 drug 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 uh, counseling. Is that correct? Or-
1: yeah. Yep. Yeah, I am a uh, yeah addictions counselor at uh, here in Des Moines, Iowa.
0: <laughs> oh, you're in the oh, you're in the middle Midwest. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. 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 I'm I uh, I live in Iowa. Yeah. I'm a-
0: wow. Well, there's a, there's a lot to talk about. So, again, on our show, I, I like to, uh, you know, kind of give the, the guests kind of permission or space to talk about what's most important to them. I should say we are recording this on a momentous world historic day with um, the horrors of the, the attack, the invasion, right, of Russia um, on Ukraine. And so that's, that's the, the objective historical context for this conversation, uh neither of us knew that was going to happen of course when we were uh, doing this uh, episode um but that's the, that's the uh, that's what's going on so politics is very much in the air wouldn't you say
1: yeah yeah it's um i think it's a it's a dark day i uh i was hoping the invasion i was hoping it would not happen um yeah but it has and um I mean, I definitely would encourage anyone who has who has contacts with dissidents and, and anti-Putin dissidents in Russia or, you know, has contacts with activists in Ukraine. I mean, definitely, it's definitely time for solidarity with those people. Oh, absolutely. Um,
0: well, that's very connected, of course, to your book and, and probably other things that I, that I don't even know about. But generally on our show, I like to get things going through a kind of a linear chronology and... I'm just very curious how you came to be the journalist you are, the reporter you are. Your biographical background were you were you always political, or is that something more recent, or or anything uh, uh, anything else that comes you know that goes into making you uh, Andy Heinz? Whatever comes to your mind.
1: Um, I was I would say I was apolitical for the most part until college. Um, that definitely was where, where my politics, I became a lot more political. Um, actually, I remember it was a history class. I, I went to Kansas City University. Um, I'm a, I'm a Kansan. I'm a local, I'm from Kansas originally.
0: Oh, wow. So you, uh, you like, to, you know, must know Thomas Frank's work
1: then or have a, uh, certainly. A- yeah. Yeah. We, um, right. we actually read what's the matter in Kansas, um, in one of my, uh, classes actually. State. <laughs> right. Right.
0: Um,
1: um, but, uh, it was actually we are just um in a history class and he 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 talked about there were some of the things he he told us about like that I had not heard um mm-hmm. such as like the the u s invasion of the philippines um yeah or, early america and um the coup that overthrew um salvador Allende in chile in nineteen seventy three um and uh Door, the you know, the Reagan Bush support for Bush, Bush one support for Saddam Hussein. And like, that, that was kind of jarring to me of all of that. It was just like, cause I had not heard it and it kind of got me to researching and doing more research. And then, um, I kind of,
0: uh, hold that thought. I just wondered what years we're talking. So you in college that would have been
1: roughly. God, around. it was like 2003, to 2007.
0: That's so, that's so recent to me. It's funny cause I'm 54, yeah. you know. And it's good to hear you talk about that because I, you know, I full disclosure, I I rarely get into politics on my show because it's it's really an arts-oriented podcast, and it, it being an arts, it's also unusual for an arts podcast because I have a mission of uh, unity across all the arts and all the styles, which might have political implications. But you know, full disclosure, in those years, the Reagan Bush years, I was. My first political activity was working on Jesse Jackson campaign, the 1988 campaign, not the 84. So Okay, the Rainbow Coalition. Rainbow Coalition, which was an incredible group, but actually many people today feel it was kind of a, um, well, I feel this way. I feel it was a um, far superior to even subsequent, some people say even say it was at strengths the, the Sanders campaign did not have. But, Anyhow, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just painting the context of where you were, and you're, and also at that time I was researching ITT in Chile, because you know the film Missing had come out. I don't know if you've seen that film about mm,
1: with with uh, with um, Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I love Jack Lemmon. So he's
0: fantastic. I mean, that's a whole week ago. <laughs> yeah, Save the Tiger, and um, of course, and uh, I mean, yeah, he's the Apartment, and I, I love the
1: Apartment. That's that's know, that's a great know, one. We
0: could do a whole episode on Billy Wilder, but. Or Jack, but but you're but you're receiving this information in the early '00s, right? 04. So I guess it, yeah. that would be during the the W Junior years, you know, the, that kind of yeah after the and, yeah. And you were saying that this was a shock to you. In other words, you were you were well. you talk about it. I don't, you probably could express it better.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll just. Um, I guess it just shows my sense of what I thought America was. I mean, I guess I kind of. Or not, I guess I felt like it was, I guess I felt, I felt like we had kind of, you know, I knew slavery in the past, but I felt like those wrongs, those are the things that the wrongs had more, more or less been righted, and um, I mean kind of naively, and that we were more or less on the right path, but like, none of that foreign policy stuff, even that whole side of the Cold War, mm-hmm. um had never, I did not know about, you know, it was just, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's, you know, and that's, you know, I was, I went to a pretty, I would say I was pretty well-educated, went to a pretty, I mean, I, I grew up in the suburbs, pretty
0: yeah. upper
1: middle class, I guess. Um, you know, my education was, was a good one, I think, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that stuff was, was unknown to me. Um,
0: yeah.
1: you know, you hear about her knew about the sixties kind of in Vietnam yeah. You know, it, it, it kind of a blah, you know, kind of the I knew of it. I didn't really I wasn't an expert by any means. But just um the that kind of information kinda of hit me and just and it led me to doing a lot more research. Mm-hmm. Um and the more I went into um, for example, like Reagan's
0: Yeah
1: um politics in like Latin America and El Salvador and Guatemala and, and Nicaragua, and the more I looked into that stuff and and the more I look back in the past history, I just it just it, it painted a much more complicated picture
0: mm-hmm.
1: than I originally had.
0: Than you originally had. I want to ask you a more general question because I I went to high school in Michigan, which for three years it I went to um, in the Arts Academy back in the early mid '80s, and um, that was the I guess the extent of my connection to the Middle West. Mm-hmm. But I'm just wondering. What you feel about the environment in the Midwest? To, you know how that, how that, uh, well, in general, how that might have informed or not informed your education, or what impact it made made at that time, because because yeah, every school is different, and yeah,
1: I have trouble kind of knowing. I mean, it's that's hard for me to say because I haven't really lived anywhere else. Oh, um, you know, I've I've traveled, but I mean, you only get to know a place so much. Tra- when you're, you know, the brief time you're there traveling,
0: right.
1: um, and I've never been to the East Coast. Um, wow, I've been to the South. I've been to much of the West. Just obviously, I'm a fisherman. I love the fish. I love the scenery. And, uh, <laughs> but as far as like being, this is a culture I've been in my entire life. So, yeah. it's. Um, I would say that I think one thing that people forget about the Midwest is, um, like for example the. The politics and the culture. I lived in Western Kansas for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colby, Kansas, is called. Yeah. Like the culture in Colby uh, is very different than the culture in, say, Kansas City or Chicago. Of course. Um, sometimes I think that rural-urban difference is actually maybe could possibly be more different than, say, the difference between Kansas City and New York City. I mean, I yeah. I think it's big.
0: Well, you know, I, I guess all the culture that I love—I'm you know, I'm a jazz musician, I'm a pianist—and I've lived most of my life in the Northeast. I've lived in New York City, Manhattan, of all places—the Big Apple. I have lived in Boston, Massachusetts, so I've spent about as much time there as you have in, say, Kansas and you know, in Ohio. And it must—it must seem different. It must be, look different. But I'm—but I
1: guess I think have... it's—I think it's slower where we are. I think we, we we're slower moving on yeah. some things. Um. So, so it's almost maybe slower talking.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, sort of like, well, slower could be good, right? It could be smell the roses. Yeah, I and think, ahead. I think, yeah,
1: I think it could be good sometimes, it for sure.
0: Appreciate what you have rather than rushing, right? Rather than rushing ahead of. For, uh, the thing about it is, when you rush ahead, you force others around you who may not want to rush. So that, that too, you know, and slower pace of Yeah, it is. Um, yeah,
1: and it's complicated. I, might, I lived in Colby, Kansas, for. Two and a half years, and wow. um, probably one of the most conservative places you can find. Wow. But, um, but they really took me in too. Oh, interesting. Um, interesting. A lot of the people, you know, they really accepted me, and I'm mean, sure they didn't agree with my columns, but but they they. So were you write. So but so you, they took me in as like one of their own, kind of. Um, so you know, I have a complicated, kind of a complicated relationship with all that. <laughs> with I, um, you know, I
0: I was a journalist uh, in the '80s and up and through the. Part-time journalist, up 80s through the late 90s, early 2000s. But a take paper in Florida. But you know, it's funny. Um, I love journalists and reporters, and I may, may, you know, I don't know if this is getting too far off topic, but how did you get to the point of having a column? Like, so was that so was it somewhere between college? I guess tell me about your first job as a reporter, and and then you could talk about some of the political differences with your editors, which is interesting, but. Was it sports? Um, you doing a new uh, daily? first?
1: First place I worked was um actually was in a small um <laughs> a small town in Oklahoma That's um fantastic. and I was um I was really green mm-hmm. and wasn't a great hyper. um <laughs> and I didn't hold on to the job all that long honestly I made some mistakes <laughs> and then they fired me um, wow. so so um. Kind of packed up and went home back to Kansas City, and uh, yeah. I eventually got the job back in Colby, where yeah. um, the boss there kind of took me under his wing, um, libertarian, <laughs> um, in the American sense, um, right. but took a you know, being him had a bond and he said, you know, I said, you know, I'd like to write a column. He said, okay, so he, so I ended up I ended up being the liberal kind of the left wing awesome. journalist awesome. in Colby, Kansas.
0: So in a way, you and and Kansas were doing what Alexander Coburn used to do at the Wall Street Journal, right? If you were, yeah. Alexander Coburn was the um, the resident Marxist reporter at the Wall Street Journal um, for, or I think before the Nation, right? Wasn't it? I think before he wrote for the Nation, but um, that's interesting. So you were ke- you were keeping it, representing it in Colby.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, it was weird. <laughs> I kind of wore a different hats because I did. You know, I go cover the the high school basketball game, and then, Fantastic. then I'd you know, so I'd, then I then I'd kind of, yeah, I you know, point out that terrorism, you know, mm-hmm. and during the Reagan years, sometimes was you know was practiced by, you know, sometimes like some people in Nicaragua, we were arming, were committing terrorism. So it's like it was kind of an interesting dichotomy.
0: It is. I mean, of course, I depending on what your politics were at that time. Although you know,
1: yeah, by that time they had turned pretty. I, I'm not a, um, a Marxist. I'm—I would say I'm a progressive, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I—I I kind of—I never. I mean, there's probably progressives with different views than me, though. But yeah. But yeah. But I was definitely to the left of
0: of the people around
1: most people there. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how did I you- think we bonded? We bonded over fishing, though, and over sports. So like, there were these other identities that sure. you know I could find common ground with, with people.
0: So you—you've always been a lifelong fish fish fisher.
1: District. yeah yeah i love it i love love the outdoors my dad's taught. my dad was a biology teacher oh wow um yeah yeah so um and my mom was a special ed teacher so
0: oh
1: wow i had a lot of, a lot of teaching yeah. in my family I a lot of teachers in my family
0: um well in a way you're kind of teaching the world i guess when you did this book because i think you i don't want to jump too far ahead unless you want to but in this book you kind of you decide. I'm going to pick every continent, so it's you know you have a Middle, middle East section and an African section and um Asian. You know, you you definitely it's a very comprehensive book talking to all these people. But in any event, um you're in Colby and your editor. What kind of arguments or stuff did you that you guys were putting aside the fishing? The agreement was that mainly the, the, actually, you
1: know, not much. Okay. He um, Steve Haynes was his name, and he was very very hands-off. He let me write what I wanted to write. Um, and God bless, I love him for it, you know, he, no matter, he I mean, sometimes, he he'd, he'd, you know, he'd disagree with it and I remember he, he wrote a, uh, like we had an argument about something, he wrote a pro, um, kind of a pro-Columbus sort of article and then I, I, I then I wrote one like anti-Columbus. Of course. Um, so, but um, but you know, he he never censored me or anything like that. Well, that, he always, you know, the, the,
0: that was a little bit more the culture that you know, in a way, you were you got to live out the last gasp of that consensus culture, right? Of, of post war, in a way, if you think about, it, you were at the end, you were living because that culture does not exist anymore. It's over, right? It's before Fox and MSNBC. You were you were you were like one of the last real reporters, if you think about it. What do you, what are your thoughts now that so many commentators talk about the death of town reporting, how we don't have newspapers, and, you know, I know...
1: It's- uh, yeah, it, it's a very real problem, I think. And not just from a political, like, ghost town standpoint, but um, a lot of little papers, I mean, they were part of the town's mm-hmm. fabric. They were part of, like, not just, just the small town. I mean, one thing you learn, and one thing about small town America is... Uh, i think is a really cool thing is that like they really get behind their sports teams and stuff it's kind of cool and you and like the talons and the, the shops and stuff get behind them they're you know and and they really love seeing their kids those teams because in the paper and their kids in the paper and um and a lot of these bigger companies have swallowed up a lot of these papers and oh, yeah. or they just, they just treat them as like tax write-offs you know and it's oh. uh and it's it's just yeah. it's just people, I just, I feel like people who should be in the newspaper business or people who should be in it are people who have a passion for it. And really, oh, yeah. and I feel like some of these people, it's, it's, it's commercial reasons they're in it. And, um, yeah. and I, I think that's a tragedy. I think it's,
0: Oh, it is a tragedy. Well, of course it connected to that is the thing, Tim Timothy Snyder, I don't know if you've seen him speak on this particular issue, but he's very eloquent as of late about the, what the loss of newspapers means. You know, it first of all, means that people don't basically know the basic facts of their town. They don't know daily, daily events. They actually don't know what's going on where they live. You know, I mean, you know, one of the, one are the advantages of having reporters is that you, you, know, basic things like, I don't know what's in the supermarket or, you know, what, you know, what the water table is or whatever, you know, things like, you know, basic things of daily life. And it's, it's kind of weird to have a, have a society where you don't have people covering that, where that's not a, a legitimate profession or not a, um, not a respected profession around the, around the country. Right. Well, I think we always,
1: yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, and I think the newspaper model, um, like the advertising model, mm-hmm. I think the internet really rocked it. Yeah. And, um, I don't think the way, and I don't think there's been really a, I don't know if we've made an adjustment yet, like how, how newspapers will survive without, mm-hmm. Strictly on a for-profit basis, you know, competing with, especially with these, all these conglomerates owning them, and um, competing with the internet. I think it's. Yeah. Um, I think one thing about the, I, I'm not, I'm. Certainly, believe technology can be used for good reasons, but I think, sure, like in my country and like in other countries, I think we have never, a lot of us never stopped and had a conversation of like. What end are we using this for? Good. Use some of these technologies. Is this for good or bad? And like, yeah. uh, I wish we would have had that conversation more. I just don't see it happening sometimes. Um, like, what is, you know, whether
0: some. Uh, well, yeah, it's not happening. But also, um, what are memories that are coming back to your mind of that of your editor, Steve or Kobe? Things that stories that were noteworthy or events that it could be a sports well, thing. It could be maybe farms. How farms were doing what. What comes in yeah. you, the top of your head that was that to this day you you think back either fondly or not so fondly or with um with emotion um, interest I mean what
1: do you I mean you know, I like to you know doing stories just on the kids um, I mean it's kind of nice to do the sports record, or just as like, do a or for a, like on a kids game or just a profile on a, on a you know a player or just like do, doing a story on something opening up mm-hmm. you know new business opening up just sometimes. Um, I kind of enjoyed that. You got to know people. Um, and, you know, getting to know the city council people, getting you know, covering those things, and you know, I got along with the folks there, Republican and Democrat. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it just, and I think, I think with local news too. Even though, pe- even I think when people are divided on stuff, like I think if you know what's in your neighborhood and you know people, you don't, you know, you don't be like project necessarily the same stereotypes that you would on um, people who, like, aren't in your head town <laughs> or aren't living there, which can be a bad thing overall, but, like, in the town, you can, like, yeah, well, I don't agree with him on this, but He's not a bad guy because, you know, you're with, you know, these people, you're with them, well, that, and, like, that, you that, know the that, people who work from the newspaper. Exa-
0: exactly. That's that old, I want to have a beer with him or I want to have a cup of coffee with him or her thing that kind of hits yeah. across the aisle. You know, the image, of course, today that people use is Tip O'Neill and um, Ronald Reagan having lunch, you know,
1: and that kind of thing. It looks like, and, yeah, it's t- like, yeah, Tucker Carlson says bad things about this, this guy. I mean, you know, I, I talk to him every day in the neighborhood. He's not that bad, you know. <laughs> but, you know, now it's kind of harder to <laughs> – now, you know, if people aren't, don't know each other and aren't talking, I think um, – I, I do think on the left we um, – did some really good things by, I think, you know, questioning some things about organized religion, questioning some things about patriotism, you know, and, and, um, you know, one, one kind of family is not the only kind of family to have, but I think to some extent we have not, we never, um, I don't think we kind of, I think sometimes we didn't think of the fact of like, if these things are questioned, if people do feel like things that, they believed in were questions. That's right. That's um, what's going to replace it, and like, what's gonna? How are we gonna? What kind of environment can we have these kind of conversations? Because if it's a hostile well, one, it is a hostile. There's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be problematic.
0: Well, that's uh, getting back to your book. That's what I really I mean. Again, your book, I could never do justice to this book. I mean, the audience the listeners should get it. Um, but the on this subject, uh, Michael Lerner stands out to me from Tacoon right? Cornell Wessel, buddy, and. Jewish uh, activist, um, because he he talks about that very issue. In, right in your interview with him, he talks about well, you know, religion. You know, this a- anti-religious attitude that he that he struggled he struggles against. I guess. Um, what were your impressions of Michael Lerner? I, don't, I guess because we're on the on the subject, he kind of.
1: I mean, I, I mean, overall, I think on that the sentiment, I definitely agree with him. I think. Um, I, I wish there were more conversations between more religious people who have progressive type politics and more secular people. I, I think I wish there's more conversations there, more dialogue. I, I do think I think there's. The, I mean, to me, things like religion and and um, patriotism. I think they can be used for good and bad, mm-hmm. and um, I think everything has both. I mean, Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of secular people who are um, universalists, believe in universalism, and, and I would put myself in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some things in the some things in New Testament, Old Testament, I certainly disagree with, um, but there's also part. There are still parts of it that are, you know, love thy neighbor, love the stranger, that have universalist implications. I mean. Mm-hmm. you know treat you know the golden rule i mean there's some beautiful stuff in there yep. and just to throw it you don't want to throw it to throw that all out to me is is a, is a terrible idea
0: yeah.
1: um i don't think you have to take it all literally right or even believe in a deity to not get the wisdom that that comes from those books and like some of the morals from the good morals that come and i just uh i think sometimes we that um I think sometimes I, I'm I think reason science is needed for, for progress. I think sure. without a culture that stresses life that where people feel like they have a belonging and a purpose.
0: Yeah.
1: I think that, that that needs to be there too. I think you need you need all three of those things. I think sometimes like the Sam Harris's kind of oh yeah. Or there's kind of this idea that if you know well, you, you, we can all just be scientifically rational people. Yeah. You, and I'm not sure if that's true.
0: Well, you and I have had conversations before about Sam Harris, as you, as you know, he's an influence on this podcast because I actually like more for his style, more for how he is with guests is an influence on me, and a little bit how he goes into detail. You know how he goes into detail in an episode with the guest. You know I appreciate that, and he and he comes you know prepared. I like that. Mm-hmm. Those are good things. But putting aside his so called new atheism or militant atheism yeah which is a whole other I mean it's interesting um, um to hear you, to hear you talk about that because I'm wondering I'm, I, I'm wondering how much you you seem to have a very a very balanced healthy perspective on these things and I'm wondering does that come from well, your experience as a reporter is it come is it do you think that played a role or your your how you read I, you, think, I think
1: yeah I think it's partly how well, I think it's partly how I was raised. um My mom is um one of the most empathetic people I know and that's probably something i uh, hopefully got from her um and my grandma is very much trying to see the best in people um and I think I have some of that I think i and um but I think my dad is very much a person where who doesn't trust absolutes he He thinks they're shaped the gray, mm-hmm. and he uh, he's someone who who doesn't you know who who's kind of taught me to see complexity in things, which I think helps keep me sometimes i think helps keep me from seeing people as entirely bad. Mm-hmm. and I think that's when I worry when I see things kind of like a zero sum game arguments, yep, um because I feel, I feel like progressives, religious progressives, and secular people. We can argue and have, you know, some things we can contest and stuff, but, like, there's still a lot of roads for that we have agreements, too. So I don't – Yeah. And I think Twitter and Facebook are just horrible. Yeah, they are. They're not not horrible in themselves, mister, but, like, they're horrible for that kind of thing. because You can just kneecap somebody and, you know
0: (laughs) – They're set up to create fights and wars. I mean, they're
1: engineered. Yeah, and it's – For that purpose. It's just not a good model for (laughs) – yeah, Reason I mean, debate
0: i i don't yeah, i try to use not use them that way i try to use them just to tell people when a concert is and you
1: know to, to post- yeah which is probably the way it should have been done huh?
0: yeah i mean I i'm
1: guilty of anyone as is being on a soapbox but i try not to get into arguments on there either because i just don't think you're not going to solve things with you know with I mean, facebook messages it's
0: really great um, to talk about all this because i see i'm getting a picture of someone who is developing as a, as a, as a person, but also, a, um, I, so I'm just wondering you, you, how long were you a reporter at this paper and then how do you start getting involved in politics and the other things or talk, talk a little bit about that development? Was it around that time or afterwards? Or did you, um, exchange papers? I guess. I,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I've worked with quite a few papers. Um, and I finally just that I finally, in honestly just kind of money reasons I finally decided um to go to get my master's um to go in addictions counseling I wanted to that's interesting um um I actually I, I wanted to kind of go into mental health counseling honestly first but then um that was going to take longer and, and money was an issue um so I went to addiction substance abuse counseling and um mm. but I didn't want to give up on writing so I continued to I kind of started freelancing and um um, I, I set out to write a book, just kind of on the left. Yes. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of, I've kind of, uh, I've been closely reading a lot of left wing arguments over the years, and I was just going to be the U.S. But um, the more I talked to some people, the more they put me on to other people, and then it kind of transformed into something bigger. Yeah. Um, and that's, and a lot of the people I talk to changed my perspectives on a lot of things. Um, that's interesting. And uh, th- that that um. I'm very appreciative of that. I'm trying to, and you know, some of those folks I really try to stay in contact with. Um, and the one thing about the book is a lot, a lot, of, a lot of, um, a lot of people in that book disagree with each other pretty fiercely. Oh, yeah. Um, um, yeah. But
0: um, I mean, there, there are things. There, there, yeah. that, I mean, what, hold that thought. I want to say that there's nobody more divided against itself than the left. The left is very united. You know, they put aside the differences and. Able to get, not, not, not us, not we. I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone because I have um, my own views, you know. But, you know, that's just, yeah. that's your, that's just the nature of, um, I think it's the nature of being a thinking person, you know. I, it reminds me of something um, Hannah Arendt said, Hannah Arendt se- separates meaning from fact. See, unlike Sam Harris, Hannah Arendt felt that fact couldn't get you to feeling and meaning, which is for her ultimately important. And then interesting. So that that relates very much to the the thing you were saying earlier about how um, sense of belonging, your sense of purpose, is not something that can be rationally, you know, the fu-
1: Well, I think the funny thing about the new atheists is, is like, I'm as someone who's who's more more agnostic leaning. The two, the two most influential, probably the two most people, arguably the two most influential people, or maybe even the three most influential people that I read are atheists. Uh, they just are not Sam Harris atheists. Right. Um as they Amartya Sen, um, Keenan Malik oh, yeah. and Anthony, Anthony Apaya are three of the most influential people to have influenced me over the years. And they're all um but for me and they are they're all very much I should say looks, I would say they I would say they would all be critics of the new atheists. Well, <laughs> so list,
0: so listeners that don't know, my favorite of the ones you mentioned is Apaya. I think is a genius in his um
1: yeah, I, I think it's, Apaya is um yeah, very it, good.
0: Well his new recent book on identity is brilliant and, and but I've been reading him for a long time and so I highly recommend Anthony Apaya to to our listeners. But Oh yeah, yeah. He, he he's 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 brilliant. Yeah, and you know, but he he's a uh, again, kinda like my my podcast, he's somebody that's really into the arts. He's into obviously like he knows about all the different culture and you know and, you know he brings that into his I think it's very much in the forefront of how he, how he um, sees the world. I think, and um, so yeah, well, Keenan Malik actually
1: is very much. He's a, uh, I mean, he's a diehard Bob Dylan fan, so he's also that <laughs> um, I am too, uh, and I I'm a huge music fan. So I think, I think sometimes intellectual. I think it is good to be into some of that. I think to kind of be away from and kind of be clustered. Just you know totally kind of outside of society can be problematic sometimes. Um, so I think I think it is good to be not involved in other areas. Um, I think that's that's healthy, honestly, I think.
0: You think it's healthy to, to be well rounded is what you're saying. Is that
1: different? Yeah, yeah, and I think um which I think is, is one thing where I'm I'm very much um I kind of worry about the discussions we're having about like public education and college education because yes. it seems to be all all revolves around and rightly as it should, to some extent, um, is college setting you up to get a good job, to do your trade, and make money. Um, but to me, college should be is not that's not all college should be about. I mean, it's also about learning to think critically, not how to you know not what to think, but like how to think, and learning you know I, to me, college is so much should be so a lot more than that. Um, I I, I,
0: I, I
1: worry about that.
0: Are you following some of the more radical left attacks on education itself and meritocracy? I'm thinking of uh, Frank uh, Freddie Debor and his his research. I'm sure you're familiar with with his. I'm
1: not as familiar with him. I've, I've been Freddie, following.
0: Freddie Debor is against compulsory education. I think he's against universal. But from a Marxist perspective, and there are, there are a lot of people, um, you know. I guess online or associated with the far left that are whether you agree or disagree, they're doing interesting research about, you know, the, he, tracking students and, but that's, that's connected to his, I think his egalitarianism in the sense that, you know, it could create a debt burden we create this debt burden. And then what do students get at the end of it? Right. I'm sure you, your own, I'm sure you see the the point in that, 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 that kind
1: of. Thing. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think there needs to be a rest, I, I do believe one should be, able to go to college I think it should be yeah. I do think it should be free I think it should be structured in a way that it's um that like middle class and the working class yeah. is not taxed for that but I think everyone should be offered that if they have the grades but I think it should be more than just you do your specialized job then you make money in that field I think you should also be taught like you know how to you know are these institutions that we have good enough do they maybe be modified do they need to be reformed this is society we want and i think those bigger questions should be asked too um and i think we should be good and i think like i know there's a lot of attacks on like feminist theory and this kind of stuff but to me to me we should be well-rounded we should know about the other sex i mean the other gender i mean to me these you know Women's history is important. I mean, how they've gotten right, thats part of our history. LGBT two Q. I think. I mean, I think science is very important, but we also—I think scientists should also be learning to write, learning to communicate. Because that's right. I think now more than ever, science—we need to make science accessible to everyone. Or people like, you know, Tucker Carlson, these other few, and whoever it is on the internet can, you know, be flooding information, misinformation to people. Sure,
0: right. It's a big problem. Everybody needs an anchor in life. You, me, just everybody. Anchor made this whole show possible. I'm immensely grateful to them. You too can use Anchor to make your own shows and create your own vision. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I mean, I see that very acutely from where I sit as well. I, I appreciate that you're that you're um, well. Getting back to the drug counseling, so I think it's. It, am I right to guess that you were becoming a drug counselor right at the historical moment when new, these newer drugs? Yeah. That, yeah. I mean. So that's you must really be. I don't know if expert's the word. You must have been encountering. You must have been really ha- having seen a need to help people that were really in trouble, right? I mean, I I um, I'm very embarrassed to say I'm a very much a non-drug person. I've never. I'm the squarest person you'll ever meet. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't use any drugs, really. Uh, I don't even, uh, you know, not even, but I'm not against, I'm not anti-drug and like a kind of, a. am more, I do see it as a problem, but you're someone on the inside, right? You're actually treating people who have problems using substances, correct? And when yeah. when yeah. you learning how to do that or finding out about that? That must have been in the 2000s or was it in the... Uh, Yeah,
1: it was, um, well, I mean, I followed the drug war throughout the, just from a political standpoint. Um, and, um, you know, I said, I I don't agree with it. I don't think it's been done right. I mean, um, I, I think, um, but yeah, it's, it's very, uh, worrisome right now. I think, um, you know, fentanyl, um, so is being put into a lot of things
0: that's right
1: um and people are taking these drugs not knowing what's in it like they're trying they think they're getting methamphetamines but there's fentanyl in it and that's yeah. causing overdose or crack um you know they think they're doing using crack and they die of a fentanyl overdose um Andy, so it's a very big problem
0: Andy, do you mind telling me a little bit about what you how you've helped some of your clients or what uh, so what Because I don't really know anything about what someone in your job does, what a drug counselor does, or what you did at that time or now. Just for someone you know who's not doesn't know about it, what what would you say or what?
1: I mean, a lot of what we teach is just um, we teach a lot about like stress reduction, um, coping skills, setting goals. We talk a lot about mindfulness, a lot about um, we call playing the tape through, um, before because. I um, mean, a lot of people, it's very much, you know, one thing that predisposes someone to addiction makes you more likely to have to have addiction is, is impulsiveness. So, one thing we try to think is like making the cost benefit analysis before making a decision. That's right. um, we often talk about stress reduction because, you know, when, when you're in fight or flight, um, you know, long term thinking doesn't really kick in. So,. And a lot of time in that moment, you'll do anything to relieve the suffering at that time. So, kind of, we try to work on coping skills so you can kind of keep people from getting to that place. Um, talking about having a sponsor, having someone to call. Anytime, if you're really struggling, if you're ready to break, having someone to call all the time so they can help talk you out of it. Um, you know, go into support groups so you can have people who have gone through the same thing as you. Um, just a lot of. It's a lot of life, it's a lot of emotional regulation. If if anger is what triggers you to use, or if stress, and finding other ways to, to find other ways to de stress. If drugs was your original coping mechanism to do that.
0: Hmm. What well, you you were, were doing, learning how to help people in a time when, were you seeing a, your community you were living in hit hard by some of these drugs, or was that going on? Or is-
1: um, and where I live, um, Des Moines. Um, I would say we see probably the drug we see the most, one of the drugs we see the most of is methamphetamines.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, that's, um, I was, got hit pretty hard with that. Yep. Um, that's when we see a lot of my, in the communities. Yeah. And, um, and fentanyl is a worry right now because uh, one of the problems is, like I said, one of the problems is not that people are directly like buying fentanyl or asking for it. It's just that it's been contaminated. in So many of these drugs so people are getting drugs in the street, but they're taking the them, taking them, um, you know, snorting them, you know, doing injecting them, not knowing what's them. in them. Um, the Biden administration has put out, I don't know if they're mass produced. I know he has, I don't know if it's been accepted, but he has, or, but I know he, there's been a plan. There's, there's been talk of fentanyl testing strips, so people who are actually using can tell. If, that's in, if fentanyl is in the drug they're going to use before they use it. Um, there's kind of a movement, and right now, in my field, for more harm reduction as opposed to just abstinence only. Um, like in some places, they're having safety.
0: I know a little bit about that gestation because when I lived in Boston, I used to hang out with some pretty – although I myself describe myself as square, I did from time to time hang out with people who were very opposite that and were very uh, – one, one of whom – was I think one of the founders of harm reduction. I think um she was um but that was in the context I guess of, of age of heroin I think. Maybe yeah. it applied to other things as well, of course. But
1: yeah, a lot a lot of times with harm reduction people needle exchanges. Needle exchanges um, that's right. Now they're um in some places, I think New York has some now um is yeah. um like supervised injection sites where people can – Right. use their drugs in a controlled setting. That's right. So they know it's not um, contaminated with something. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this is the idea behind it, is this: these are people who are not ready to stop yet, so let's make sure they're still, you know, let's make sure they don't overdose so they don't lose yeah. their lives um, before they have time to heal, before they're ready to heal.
0: That must be a very um, controversial, because even though it's very necessary in life, um, it's actually life preserving, which you know, it must be a, a tough sell in certain certain.
1: Sure, sure. Because there's a, there's, um, we even have that problem with with, with MAT medication. It's a medication assisted treatment,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: like Suboxone, um, and you know, methadone, which um can you know help decrease cravings for for heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, even that, people, some people say, well, that's one drug for another, um, and some people old-school people would say, like, don't take any medications. That's just one drug for another. That's just one chemical drug for another. And I guess I, I guess for me it's just like, um, okay, but if this person is using this, and you know, maybe instead of stealing, instead of having an overdose, instead of losing their family, you know, they're with their family, they have a functioning job, they're not having to go to the hospital. Um, you, you know, if they're functioning in society well, to me that is an improvement than – you know, getting drugs in the street, perhaps overdosing, going to the hospital. That's kind of the pragmatic idea of the harm reduction. And I just think it's more humane. I, I do think there is... I, I just... I mean, I don't know. I think with Al Capone, you know, we said... Oh boy. To me, prohibition led to him. And I think we're still... Yeah. Uh, I just... I, I'm not convinced that we're ever going to cut off the supply. I think the demand is what's going to have to Go and I mean, and to me, that's that's you know the kind of society we have. That is how we treat people who are do have addictions. Right. Um, it's not gonna. I don't think you're just gonna like even if like say Mexico got cut off from from Mm -hmm. prevent cartels got shut down there. I mean historically, they just ballooned some another another country.
0: Spraying up somewhere else is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I mean that's been kind of the history. So I wish that weren't the case, but it's kind of in the way it's been.
0: It's really um, difficult because you're talking about people's enjoyment they get from these chemicals, and they, and they, you know they're from their point of view. I remember I had a friend of mine who who was who was a who used you know, and she used to have a um, a really strange joke. I thought it was really funny, but when I tell people the joke, they get very offended. So I hope this podcast doesn't. <laughs> but it is a colorful story. She said that she was. Um, she told me she had to go to some suburb to score. And she told me that she really hated what she called this was her term for it, the family values dealers. I guess by which she meant these were very conservative upstanding people who sold heroin. Hmm. And she says they were the worst like because they were always what was her complaint? Oh yeah, that they were always like late all the time that they were unreliable the the PTA dealers. She says I really hate the PTA Dealers because yeah. everything's a, a pain in the ass, and they always have to go. That's right. They always have to go pick up their kid before they deal, you know, in, in, a, in an SUV. And I thought that was just such a colorful. That she, of course, she, she was comfortable enough for me to tell me these stories, and I may, I, you know, I thought it was hysterically funny. But I, I'm sure that joke wouldn't land. I'm sure there are many circles where that would be horrifying, right? Because I mean, mm-hmm. they would have to. The idea of somebody going what? to a PTA meeting and then selling heroin in a, in a suburb, of course, is, is bad, but, you know, it's also,
1: it's uh, Yeah, well, I mean, the media depiction of the drug user is not always accurate. I mean, some, you know, I've had yeah. certainly clients who, you know, one time had a house, had a big job, were doing really well, and then right. lost it all. I mean, um, I think one good way for people to look at addiction who don't fully totally understand it is, like, I heard some guy – um, there's there's actually a lady who wrote a book that I I want to read. I hear it's a very good one. Um, hmm. Anne Limke is her name. Huh. It's called the uh, Dopamine Brain. It's kind of called Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, and she kind of talked about how like our brains are wired to seek pleasure, to avoid pain. Um that's right. Because like in it, in the past, you know, you know that was meant you know seek pleasure to get water to get food. Uh, For sex, for things that like helped us to survive. Primitive, but um, yeah. But you know, when you when that pleasure comes from heroin, (laughs) you get like super pleasure, and you continue to do it.
0: Right.
1: Then your brain keeps telling you you need more and more. So when in the past the brain was like giving us messages to help us survive, now it's providing people messages that help that's like can help kill them. So it's um, and the one thing she talks about too with dopamine with the addiction process is that. And this is one thing I always tell my clients is like drug addiction, alcohol addiction, like shouldn't be siloed off from like the rest of the addictions because people can get addicted to anything. I mean, some people can get addicted to a person. Some people get addicted to pornography. Some people get addicted to sex. Um, I think right now a lot of people are addicted to their cell phones. Some people are addicted to social media and the way people get addicted is generally the same thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, like you talked about, like there's one part of the brain where, one part, the part of the brain that processes pleasure is about the same part of the brain that processes pain.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: she basically said when people overindulge on one side, it uh, sometimes can eventually create like a dopamine deficit state huh. where um, and that kind of can get bad because people who, like say, get really hooked on heroin,
0: yeah. sometimes
1: what they used to enjoy, the things they used to enjoy,
0: right.
1: stop being enjoyable because they're in this dopamine deficit state. And the one thing that's giving them enjoyment Maybe it's as much, they start doing more. And then you get this like, this this kind of life where it's this kind of progressive narrowing of what gives a person pleasure where it just becomes one thing. That's right. And uh, and that can happen to people with a shopping addiction or an eating addiction. And the same way it can happen to someone with a heroin addiction. Heroin is just more potent. Um so I mean that's kind of one way to sh- look at it. I should
0: say that you know, my friend did eventually get clean. So I went to visit her. She was in, staying in some kind of a house with very strict rules, and they had a statue of the Buddha, and she seemed to be doing better. But she's someone who had been using for 50 years. She was in her, you know, in her 60s. Um, yeah. I guess I guess she would fit the definition of a functional user, right? Or a user who's not...
1: Yeah, functional. And there are different degrees of addiction. I mean, it's mild, moderate, yeah. severe, you know. It's interesting. It's... um. And some, most people, a lot of people do get better, and most people do. That's um, good I mean, I, I, sometimes, it, sometimes it takes like five or six times, though, you know? <laughs> it's just different with each person.
0: Yeah. I want to get back to your book, think, book a little bit, if you don't mind, because it, first of all, the scope, of it, as I said, is remarkable. You talk to so many people in all the continents, and I, I'm sure that was uh, – you know, the book, I guess, it was organized that way because I think you wanted to. You know, you're somebody who you said you, have, you haven't traveled a lot, but in this book you've traveled everywhere. You've talked to everybody. You know, people in North Africa, people in Korea. Um, what comes to your mind when we think about that accomplishment, or how you went about, or just how you went about meeting so many of these people and getting their, getting their opinion or their their um, perspective? That's interesting to me. Right?
1: Yeah, I think. Well, I wanted to. Um, first of all, I wanted to kind of get. I felt like the left on some things. I, I was kind of. I, one of the problems with my with the left sometimes, what, what bothered me is what. And what kind of a lot of people I talk to, I mean, some people, I guess I'd call it like imperial anti imperialism, mm. is um is kind of when. I think I saw this in like, to me, in my opinion, this happened in Syria and Bosnia. That's right. And coastal issues extents, like where kind of the um, the people on the ground become kind of victims, or they become, I mean, they're kind of distorted to fit the narrative of people like in the U.S. And like, and I I thought, you know, I wanted to talk to the people on the ground, you know, left wing people, or even just progress, or even just pro democracy people, who lived through it. And sometimes I felt like the left did not. I mean, there are some tremendous activists in Syria who I don't think the left talked to or kind of, I just think instead of, I think the left kind of ignored or didn't go down and talk to or to create bonds with. But you and to i people, right? that bothered me. Um, it seemed like that happened in Bosnia too, you just talk, looking we, back we, on some of the reporting on that.
0: You've talk, we've talked to these people, correct? You've talked to some...
1: Yeah, Yassin Al-Hajshile is... Um, in my opinion, is one of the best writers and intellectuals on the planet. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, very much a universal thinker, um, brilliant, um, one of the most empathetic people I've ever met. From everything he's gone through, I mean, the guy's 15 years in the Syrian prison.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, still one of the most caring people I, I have ever spoken to or
0: mm-hmm.
1: interviewed. I mean, most of it was email, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but uh, you know, I just, I just. Um, even if you didn't want extra arming of the Syrians, or if you like, you were worried about that, I, I still wish there was more solidarity or more reaching out to the people in those countries. Um, that the lack of doing that, I thought, by some people on the left, was bothersome. Mm-hmm. Um, say, say, I'd say the same for Bosnia um, and some other places. I just um, cause that that I'm not saying like someone cannot. And I'm not at all saying you can't form, bond, form uh, bonds with people in Syrian left or Syrian pro-democracy people and still oppose um, certain types of U.S. intervention there. But I think the lack of, like, talking to those people or accepting certain narratives where those people were kind of erased or were just kind of as passive victims
0: yeah.
1: was really part problematic.
0: Right. Well, it, it is, and it's interesting you, you, you cite this one person as really is exemplary and— And I guess they influenced your thinking and opened up your, I guess, your consciousness to seeing things in in a different way, a new way. um, Yeah, yeah. I think think that's interesting. So I I do think a lot of these disagreements, if I can formulate in this kind of, maybe it's a strange way, but, you know, there are, I have my core ideals, which are very radical. Like as radical mm -hmm. as as can be um, without being arrested, right? So – So in that sense, I'm very, very far, far left. For example, I'm completely anti-capitalist, which means I'm against all sort of global international orders that have existed, right? That's an ideal, I'm opposed to them, right? That's a very, that's what puts me in a lot of conflict with progressives who support such order, right, and who are more conservative, right? That's a a fundamental ideal. However, in my daily life, I completely put aside those ideals. given certain context, right? So the kind of things you're talking about now, like having a livable city, you know, not, you know, being free from being bombed by somebody and that that's I, my opinion that, that you should keep the ideals in the back of your mind, but that's not the time and place to push for those ideals because in that moment, that's not what's salient, right? And so for me, that that's how I navigate. To me, they're separate issues. And I, I, I find times, sometimes activists they're only operating through the one ideal they might have, right? Rather than through the circumstance or the context, right? So, the, the kind of things you're talking about are real pressing needs, like, say, in Serbia, right? Like, um, uh, I mean, it's, it's a good example of that, I guess, would be the support for Milosevic, of all people, among some radicals, that just because Milosevic is against your enemy, right, as well.
1: Mm, Well, yeah, that was definitely...
0: Yeah, that's the kind of thing I do oppose. So there are instances in which I will ally with people I really disagree with fundamentally because I need to ally with them because to accomplish a certain goal. (laughs) For example, the goal is to make sure Ukraine doesn't get destroyed, you know, a basic goal like that. So, yeah, I'm going to... I'm definitely going to ally with the battle and all rights of the world and the conservative think, you know, foreign policy think tanks because they don't like Putin either, right? So I think it's just everything yeah. that's about picking your battles or picking your
1: Well I think I think uh um I think sometimes we forget the uh the uh, the and, you know. Like US hegemony has been a problem and it, there's been some serious issues and Putin is still a dictator who is guilty of war crimes. I mean. I think sometimes, of course, those two things can exist at the same time.
0: Yeah, it's both. It's um, or it's both-and, right? It's a both-and, as you say. But I, what are some of the other names in this book? I and mean, You mentioned this um, in different contexts that come to your mind, where you think, wow, that person really kind of, um, I don't know, if it um, blew you away or made you look at something in a way you hadn't considered before, maybe, or inspired you? Or, um, I think... Um,
1: Meredith Tax is great. I, I love Meredith. Meredith. Yeah. Um, um. I'm gonna. I think just some of the gal. I think yeah, like I said, yes Um. Some of the Korean voices, uh, you know, Liberty North Korea. I mean, wow. To me, that the people who were trying to, you know, kind of like we're trying to rescue people from North Korea, and get them into South Korea. I mean, to me, that's that's um. Great. That's a great thing. I think, um, he, he, uh, settles that. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And her husband,
0: are you about, are you um, So talking Park.
1: Cause I Yeah. So Park. Park. Yeah. Yeah. That was an and, um,
0: interview. That was, that one, that one, that one struck me. I wasn't actually anticipating that. I mean, along the book and when I got to him, that was, that was something. That was,
1: something. yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, he's probably, and, um, yeah, he's to settle that. I think, um, Deep Seda, I hope, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She is a peace activist and, um, in Pakistan. Um, just an incredible woman. Um, just promoting peace between India and Pakistan. Um, and she, I think she's great. Um, it's just, I think, so I don't know. just like everyone, Annabelle Hernandez, I think, is a heroic figure mm-hmm. in Mexico. Um, but just, Anna Maria Cafino and then Guatemala. I mean, just, you know, some of these yeah. people are incredible figures. Um, wish they were more well known. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, all those people I really enjoy talking to, um, George Mambia, Mambia, I haven't just, uh, he's definitely mm-hmm. someone I've, I've um, admired for years. Um, mm-hmm. I like him. I like his column, the guardian, um, So, you know, it was was definitely good to talk to him. Uh, Miriam Healy Lucas, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, I I really enjoy talking to the female activists in the kind of Middle East, North Africa, because because they provide... um, I think they are good for people on the left here to read, because I think... To me, Islamist, not Islamic, Islamist extremism is a problem in a lot of areas of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, anti-Muslim bigotry is also very much a problem. And I think people like Miriam, who have lived through a civil war in Algeria where she saw many of her friends murdered by Islamist extremists, I think can kind of hold a mirror to to us on that and kind of say look you need to concentrate on both things um I don't think it's, in, but I think I think she people like her get it right or people like Harris get it right. people like Sam Harris do okay, not but but to me it's not a he, Islam thing he, oh, no, because he, you look in oh, Burma
0: well, and that's that. where
1: extremist Buddhists
0: no, no, are committing genocide no, hold that I have something so yeah so Harris so Harris keeps extolling uh Hirsch Ali who's um mm-hmm. who's married to the neoconservative economist uh his name slips to be the major, Neo Ferguson, right? Ferguson, yeah. Ferguson, but I mean, he holds them up but you know, um, Miriam Lucas, whose photo can't be reproduced in your book out of, for her own safety, right? Yeah. She, her, her, um, her story is infinitely more interesting than any, than to me. I mean, I was very, yes. I her, her, Hersi Ali, um, or like her. You know, I, I
1: admire her courage. I admire what she's doing on behalf of women, but I totally disagree with some of her politics. And I think with Harris boosting her, I guess my problem is, and um, a lady named Karima Bonone, again, I hope I got that pronounced right. She wrote a book called Your F- What Does Not Apply Here, <laughs> where she talks about thousands of Muslim women and men. Yeah some secular, some progressive Muslims,
0: mm-hmm. who have
1: given their life fighting Islamist extremism.
0: That's right.
1: And, and these people are much more, have much more credibility, solidarity among Muslims and in this country than Hirsi Ali yet. Mm-hmm. I never heard Harris talking about these people or interviewing them or putting them up. I see, I see. And because, because many of them are very much also imposed to imperialism, to, Western, to U.S. imperialism. That's so right. So to me... <laughs> that that that's the mistake and it's wrong. i think that's well that's that's wrong in my opinion
0: that's connected to my comment about one's ideals i mean if your ideals don't allow you have to have your core ideals even though you can't always live you know you can't you have to suspend them sometimes right but you know imperialism is imperialism and one one must oppose it even though opposing it might mean some something sometimes having to collaborate with forces you don't like to defeat something worse, right? Which is the,
1: that's the... Well, that's the, I mean, and that's, you know, and I think in the, um, I think too with imperialism too, I think we need to, of course you can point out things, and the, the, you always could have, I mean, with Britain imperialism in India, you sure certainly could point out stuff in a society that was bad then. Just like you can point to things in U.S. society that's bad now. Right. It doesn't mean if someone invaded the U.S. that that that, that would be justified.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> I, it doesn't yeah it's it's, it's very very intelligent um, intelligent thinking but I, I sort of feel like um there's a, i don't know there's an indian philosopher i really love akil bagrami have you do you know him or read? Him? I,
1: I, I i don't know him
0: akil bagrami is one of the greatest living students commentators on gandhi and he kind of blends Gandhi with postmodern, quasi-modernist European philosophy, which is which is Gandhi's opposite, right, in many respects. But he's, he's a wonderful scholar. He's, he's I think he's writing a new book on Gandhi, but I like his ideas very much. He's somebody who, you know, Akhil Bagrami is somebody who talks about the need to, to be in one's own village or one's own local society and, and how, you know, he, talk, he talks about how Gandhi was really a deep political thinker, but was like a mystic and visionary, very similar to almost like a Ralph Waldo Emerson. There's a, there's a kind of a spiritualist Tolstoyan dimension. Yeah. Yeah. Emerson. But according, according to Akhil Bagrami, that aspect of is actually very politically intelligent, even though it appears as an anti-politics, right? And, but that's, because Gandhi's saying, "Throw out!" Gandhi's saying, "Who needs laws? Who needs contracts?" Con- you know, Gandhi's saying, "We." I think Gandhi's saying we, is that we need to get kind of in touch with our feelings, and all this emphasis on principle and law is, is kind of stultifying and rigid. And and I anyhow, I didn't mean to go on for so long, but definitely check out Akhil Bagrami. He's an interesting Bagrami, interesting um, political philosopher. Very interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I will have to check him out. I don't know too much about him. I mean, I guess full disclosure. I guess I would consider myself in the rationalist camp, but I can say I don't. Yeah. I lack much knowledge of postmodernism. Yeah. Um, to really say one way or the other on some things. Yeah. Um, I read Foucault something, and I found it hard to penetrate. So. What do you mean? Um, I think it was about like medic. I believe it was about like the medicalization is about kind of mental health and so
0: you did you read uh, Mad, did you read Madison Civilization or the birth, uh, birth of the clinic perhaps
1: by trying to I mean both perhaps both, I did
0: both the birth and the clinic and Madison Civilization are again I'm, I'm partly a Foucaultian so this is that's my that's my real house right or, or among the greatest certainly works mm-hmm. coming out of France. In like 60 years, in my opinion, brilliant. But it is, it's hard to penetrate my, my, um, my, I don't know if, I don't give advice often, but my, I would say go back and look at it. He, well, we, he has a totally different way of looking at reality than someone like, well, than, than English type people, folks, you know, than, you know, than policy analysts, right? It's almost the opposite.
1: Yeah. But, you know, what was the, um which- ch-
0: Also, hold that thought. You should also check out Late Foucault because Late Foucault is getting interested in Christianity, Stoicism, said the ancient cynics and he gets and again Foucault gets much more interested in self-help and self-care. So there's different stages to his thoughts. Stages like, but, but he gets he gets um, unfairly maligned because people don't understand what he means by power, the, his own special meaning of these terms, you know. Uh, for, for, yeah. for Foucault, everything is power, meaning that everything is all, all ultimately about wills exerting effort on the world. And that's connected to the idea that everything is interpretation. And so, you know, it's almost beside the point to try to say, well, whether that's reasonable or not. Because for Foucault, you're always exerting your power, right? That's, the, that's mm-hmm. the easy part. The hard part is what is the quality of that power, Right. That's the tricky part. That's the question is that you can have good power for good and power for bad,
1: right? I guess what I worry about with, with that kind of thought is um, like I think I worry how many people can penetrate something like that. And I, I, I kind of, I've always been kind of make things accessible to the multitudes for the lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, and if, it, if I, I worry about things being so abstract that people have trouble penetrating. I think Like, I I think the more things become accessible to everyone, I think that's a, um, and, um, I I mean, that's kind of one of the, I mean, that's one of the things I did like about the the enlightenment that I guess like would it be a pro enlightenment person is, uh, just the idea that there's this idea that reason kind of that we could read, like everything could like education and certain things could be brought to everyone. Um, and it was kind of a blowback to like, these Kings do not have divine, these kings and princes don't have divine grace and they don't have divine intelligence over everyone else. We like every, everyone can have, can have these same tools.
0: It, you know, it was Foucault who said that uh, we have not cut off the head of the king. That's one of his famous quotes. Who would never succeed in doing so. Speaking, hmm. speaking of kings, that was one of his famous quotes. Also his, his lectures at the College de France were attended by the masses of French people. He was like a rock star and a celebrity. And so I think, yeah, I think for those people because they're educated in that, it's, for them it's accessible because they're actually trained to understand. That's a whole French thing, and I would say that that's in the U.S. We really don't have that. We don't have that kind of education in the language. Was it
1: Albert Camus? Was he he, wasn't he? Who was out? Was Camus Camus? Camus. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't he? For I mean, I'm I I mean. I found The Rebel to be a tremendous book. Um,
0: well, Camus—I mean, I love Camus. Don't get me started on Camus because I'll, I'll talk you ear off. I mean, Camus—I mean, Camus was ahead of everybody else. I mean, wasn't it Camus? What? Wasn't it Camus that really called BS on Stalinism, the first opponent of Stalinism in France when France was only still slavish towards the Soviet Union? Wasn't it Camus that early, one of the earlier people to say, yeah, this, "This is wrong" or "This is um, what's going on"? over
1: I always kind of considered him. I mean, he seemed kind of like the Orwell of France to me, So
0: very much so. Yeah,
1: and I, I mean, I'm not a huge Orwell person. I think he's. Oh yeah. I think his his his, his writing beats the well, past of time. You
0: you expressed a very Orwellian view when you talked about clarity and language. That's very much politics of the English language of like.
1: Oh yeah, I think that's Orwell, a tremendous. Well, George article.
0: I was very worried about elites putting things over on people through obfuscation and. Tricks, mm-hmm. real tricks, and 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 all that. It, I think, um, even though I don't accept Orwell's notion at all of clarity, I think clarity, you know I'm an aesthetic. I am an esthete i do not believe in clarity, but clarity has its uses. But I but I take his point. If I'm going to enter into Orwell's view, you know, would, I guess
1: I worry with like the, the talk about reality is like yeah. I worry with the, the far right with I, mean, I do believe um, kind of objective like with science. I realize yeah. like one truth is the same as other truths, and I don't. Yeah that were that's a worry to me because i i think i guess for me these guys doing research for all these years i do put their knowledge above someone who hasn't oh sure um i don't i, I don't put them as better but i put them as more knowledgeable absolutely um, well,
0: yeah, you, you know you but you have been a reporter so you understand i mean i would guess you probably have experienced the consequence of bad information i mean you might have actually reported on it i i imagine in your in your in your in your work as a journalist, I'm sure you've encountered people with false information doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Or getting yeah. down to trouble. I don't know what comes to mind an example that you could
1: think of. I I just worry very much about um, the charismatic figure who is also amoral, which to me is um, what Trump was. I think it's yeah. what Tiger Carlson is. I think it's... um
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I think it's what a lot of a lot of cult leaders are, I mean, you know, and it's, um, those people worry me. Um, Did you, Do you just, watch
0: many documentaries on, there's been a lot of recent documentaries on cults and do you have any, what have been? Yeah. I, I, I,
1: yeah, I worry about that. I worry about that. There could be like a rise in that and a rise in, uh, militias right now. I, I, because I, um, I'm worried about the, the this levels in the U.S. of loneliness and, and anxiety mm-hmm. going up. And this level is loneliness going up. But I'm worried that I, I do kind of partly agree with a worry that, like, Eric Fromm, you know, writing Escape from Freedom is correct, mm-hmm. that, you know, if some people don't have that meaning, that purpose and belonging, then that belief that they will find something. And sometimes what they find is not as bad. Um, sometimes it can be a cold. Sometimes it can be something. You know, it could be the dark figures of the internet, um, and I worry that people who are adrift right now
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, could end up in this, in that kind of situation. That, uh, and that's why I just I think it does worry me about like with church attendance and ro- like Rotary Club and like mm-hmm. um, kind of neighborliness going down. Like, I'm not saying it has to be religion or that kind of. Or, or, I'm saying I need it needs to be something to me. There are places. There needs to be some sense of purpose, some sense of belonging. And I think if if some people don't stand up, and if we don't like try to you know come up with organizations and groups that are inclusive, then other people are going to replace it with more exclusive groups where you know you may have in group amity, but there's this between group apathy. Um, And I yeah, that is something I worry about.
0: I have a feeling that it's not just worry that you've experienced things in your reporting and
1: your or seen a lot. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I saw. I'm not going to name names, but I definitely saw friends, um, some people I knew who kind of, um, I guess, during the Trump era, I saw them go down kind of the conspiracy, the rabbit. raffle, and then. Um, That's
0: right.
1: And not only did it, it, I mean it disappointed me, but I kind of felt bad for them because it didn't seem like a happy life, you know. Um, just angry at the world and kind of this kind of this feeling like these small like forces of people behind the curtain are controlling everything and you know it's kind of this constant anger I mean that to me that's not a happy way to go about things
0: right and
1: I uh, that was kind of sad to see um yeah. I didn't cut off anybody totally but I, I was I kind of you know, I didn't respond. I just kind of was like, this is something I just didn't want to bring up because I just felt bad. I mean, I had people <laughs> who I, really was, I was friends with who I saw that.
0: <laughs> Cut off somebody because of their Trumpiness. I mean, you, sometimes you have to, I mean, of course, everybody's there. which was just, I just didn't know
1: how to deal with that, you know, but it was, wasn't just the post Trumpism. It was other things kind of this, um, this hatred and the force from reality. I mean, yeah. you I mean you can just like, like say like an anti-political policies, but like, you know, the woman's not Satan. I mean, it's like this is caricature that grew up in people's heads about like but, you know, people. She, like
0: she, she was almost murdered a year ago. It's very close to her being literally killed or beaten to death or or, or hung. They were. Trying, and they were. No, they were trying to do that. So that's a very. You know, I just mentioned that because you, because you mentioned it, but that's a very. I mean, you must be in a very strange time when that's your national politics. Where? Well, I think you know, if you... I think.
1: People, you know, I think sometimes people without any sense of belonging to, you can kind of, you find your source and like, unfortunately, some people find that identity in hating other people. And that's, that's yeah. a, a bad part of human nature. I think, yeah, I, you know, but I, think, I don't think it has to be that way. But I think some people, like maybe it's more immoral people like a Trump, will play at people's base st- instincts it, to get I that.
0: I think a lot of it could be jealousy of her because she's so together. She's so stylish, you know, and she's so... Um, she's she's actually kind of likable and very um and maybe maybe those those qualities that she has that I find personally likable maybe that's like maybe people feel that they can't they lack that in themselves so it could be it could be maybe jealousy is, i don't know put it that way like,
1: i've always thought it was just more that she is um psychologically i think she she's just um i think in the in some of the far right maybe conservative kind of imagination she's kind of become a symbol of all that's wrong all that's decadence all that's evil and uh
0: say i'm saying that there's a there's a dimension to that symbolism that's rooted in this resentment because they themselves are bad thinkers and lack lack style and lack dignity so it's actually and they know that that's just i mean that's one both interpretations could be okay but i think there is an element
1: it's I, I think like yeah but he, I, I think just, – and just being someone who – because I remember in Colby, I think someone called her, like, Nazi Pelosi or something. Yeah, um, that's – you know. But, like, I think if – you know, the funny thing is – and because I'm, I live in places, you know, very right-wing mm-hmm. – I think if someone like Nancy Pelosi or someone, like, visited some of these families and, they, like, they had dinner, for, like, for a couple of days, they actually talked about stuff other than politics, they probably understood – the hatred might well, – There's a, I think there's a good chance a lot of hatred would go away. Oh, yeah. But –
0: Oh yeah, but that, you know, well that's the that's, <laughs> yeah, but that, that but that's the problem is our politics. See, I don't really like politics very much. I'm not a big fan. I have to say, of politics, just I'm just full disclosure. I'm just not not a political junkie. I'm not a news junkie. I'm very mo- moderation in my politics. My politics is not modern. I'm a radical, but I'm moderate about my radicalism. Like I don't, you know, I don't be the news the news twenty four seven, and I'm not. So I, I sort of feel like the thing you're talking about now—that's just the human connection. That's what you know. Yeah. That's, that's what my no, podcast think... is all about. Because I have the idea that you know, in my podcast—if I get poets that write in poetry in different styles and two different style musicians, and bring them to the same table, those differences will be less important than what they have in common, like trying to get a recording contract or inju- creating an album, or you know, just basic. You know,
1: yeah basic things um,
0: in, in, in life, you know, in a way. So yeah, I'm more interested in what yeah, you're right, but I think it's a lack of personal connection. So in a way, yeah because people are cut off on that, they invent a demon, they invent fantasies, you know, kind of um about people, right?
1: That's, that's yeah, Well I think um, Mark then wrote a book called um it was called Identity and Violence. The it was called The Illusion of Destiny, Identity and Violence. That's a great um, book. That's have you ever read that? that? Really, yeah. Really, I yeah.
0: love that book. I didn't know we'd be talking about yeah. it. Yeah.
1: A- I thought that was um, – I thought when he talked about how we all have multiple identities and, like, right. a lot of times violence breaks out when people are convinced they only have one identity. And kind of, like, and that identity requires them to be hostile to or, or to towards or treat as inferior, someone with another presumed identity. I think that does get to the heart of why a lot of violence happens. Um, I think that and fear. Um, the I think the interesting thing you see with like a lot of people who join these fascist movements and stuff is like, on the one hand you see this fury, this aid, this anger, but on the other hand, society also hear this like kind of sense of grievance and sense of fear,
0: yeah.
1: even when a lot of times it's totally without reason. I mean, sometimes. You'll see the fear of immigration and refugees yeah. strongest in, in, in like a, in a town where there are no refugees and there are no immigrants, you know? <laughs> it's like the suburbs where it's mostly white people. And like, you know, <laughs> there's hardly anyone that they're really hearing about on TV. Um, so it, it is kind of a, a weird thing. Even sometimes like a Trump or a Putin, like even while they're committing crimes, like or they're engaging in horrible behavior. They still seem to see themselves as the victim, and it's, it's kind of a weird phenomenon.
0: You know, um, Andy, I understand that you're going to be a father soon, right? you you yeah, yeah. I, yes. So my plan in the in the next years is that uh, I think I think you you, you your wife, I can show you show you around the Northeast. It could come up come to New York will
1: yeah. A show. Oh, I'd love to visit the Northeast.
0: Yeah. We, 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 should, we should plan on doing that. Um, so, so, so with, with, with your, with your, with your baby, the newborn, what, um, what, um, before we conclude in the show, cause even good things come to an end, is there anything else you want to say about politics or reporting or the future or what's on your mind? Um,
1: well, I, I just think politically, um, I I just think there's – I hope – I think one of my – I I kind of believe that the – I guess what they call the neoliberal model, I think there needs to be – I feel like if we just stick with that model right now, that could be trouble because I don't think it's fulfilling enough purpose for enough people, and I'm worried if we just – if there's no changes – there's there's a chance that too many people are going to take that fascist model. Mm. Um, and that's one of the things that worries me right now. Um, I, and, uh, I hope I'm wrong. I'm happy I would prefer the neoliberal model over the fascist model. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. But, um, I do worry about, I mean, I hope well, some of the people who think this is like the last gasp, and some these, I hope that is correct. But I, I, um, I worry, I do worry with some of the signs we are seeing right now, um,
0: oh, yeah. well, in
1: different places.
0: You're, you're, well, you're covering it in your, in your work, and you've seen it up close, probably in a way that I, I'm not. So, so I, appreciate I, you,
1: I appreciate you. Um, I think with the left, I guess the last thing I'd say was like a progressive. Is that I do think we need to um, like work on our messages. I do think we need to foster kind of a, a politics of belonging, a politics of purpose, and a politics of inclusivity. You know, within our countries and um, across borders, I think um, I think that's important. I think we should argue and contest, but also unite around important issues. Mm
0: -hmm. I think
1: we really need to right now because, um, you know, there are other people who are um, there. There are other people with forming groups and powers that I think that are a threat to um democracy i think that our effect to values that we all kind of cherish and i just think mm-hmm. um i think you know you know if neoliberalism is in trouble it could go one way
0: mm-hmm.
1: that way or it could go another way where i think it could be life could get better for a lot of people we could find more meaning in our lives but um and more people could have feel like they're more in a democratic society where we all you know are allowed to flourish but i think uh we need to really work on our message and work on our sense of belonging, um, kind of purpose, you know, having a big tent, yep. willing to talk about tough issues without biting each other's heads off. Because I mean, the right is serious. I mean, some of the far righters are not playing around. So I think there is an urgency there.
0: Yep. I, I agree. And I'm, I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear you say that on, on our, on our show. And I, and you're the, uh, this is, um, and andy heights the author of the dissidents of the international laugh reporter drug counselor journalist um this was a beautiful occasion i'm glad we had the time to get into some of these things and i thank you very much for your generosity and for for being on our show andy
1: yeah thanks so much It's it was an honor to be on i really really enjoyed it
0: yep we'll do it again soon thank you yeah thanks so bye bye I don't like goodbyes, so I'll see you soon, folks. Thank you.